this out to our attitudes to money, no doubt many of us are vaguely perturbed by all the turbulence in international finance right now, wondering whether instability around tech ventures in Silicon Valley and Swiss banks really have anything to do with the average RN listener. Well, yes, they probably do, because it seems to be regime change time for cheap money, and that will surely affect a lot of ingrained attitudes that we barely even know we've come to take for granted. Most of us have become completely accustomed to money being available at low rates, that is, borrowing to further plans uh, uh, to buy houses, to buy holidays, or maybe plan bold new businesses. Ever since the GFC, the policy levers have been set towards rescuing the international finance system from acute shocks and to encourage ongoing spending, keep calm and carry on, in other words, using about 13 years of unusually cheap money. The Reserve Bank's 10-rate rises have certainly badgered us out of complete insouciance, but this new dawning era goes deeper than that, or maybe it's better described as a new old era we're about to live through. Two guests are joining me to discuss this. Peter Martin, the economics editor for The Conversation and well-known to RN listeners, and Nikki Hutley, who's an independent economist. Welcome to you both. G'day. Hello. Um, I'd like to hear first from both of you. Do you think the era of cheap money is over or just temporarily restricted, uh, only to return a little while down the track? Yeah, look, I, I think it is largely over we are predominantly because the era of ultra low inflation is over we are becoming less globalized a lot of the things that um, moved us technological change the, the big leaps forward some of that we'll see but many of those factors won't continue at least not for the decade ahead even though inflation appears to have peaked around the world it it certainly is it's lower but not low um, so I think we're in for um, a lengthy period of higher rates, more normal rates, um, as you pointed out to, that we had pre the the GFC. So um, I don't expect them to to get to the to the heights that it, that it, they might have done um, towards the end of the last century and just before the GFC. But I suspect the cash rate itself will will be a lot higher, certainly, than we've seen in the last couple of years. Yeah, but I would uh, add to that, uh, Nikki and Jerry, that uh, next time there's a crisis. And it might be a pandemic. <laughs> it might be anything. Next time that happens, the uh, banks around and, you know, people are uh, pulling their heads in, not spending, businesses aren't spending, rates will go back down again. So we had an unusual period uh, in COVID and before COVID, actually, before COVID, uh, world economies uh, were weakening where uh, rates were pushed down low to try and get activity up, get businesses uh, doing things. Um, next time things turn down, and they don't look as if they will will be turning down, that'll happen. And the question is, I suppose, the extent to which businesses ever, I mean, high-tech businesses in the US did, you know, borrowed for virtually nothing, but the extent to which businesses and governments ever took advantage of those low rates. What do you mean exactly? Well, what, uh, what opportunity has been lost? The opportunity, uh, think of the Case of Australia, right? We in uh, 2020 issued a 31-year bond, okay? So we borrowed for fixed 31 years, longest we've ever borrowed for, 1.94%. That's lower than the rate of inflation. We had the ability, we borrowed 15 billion at the time, but we had the ability to borrow more, it was oversubscribed, to get money for free 
for 30 years. We could have done all sorts of things with clean energy, right? We could have uh, built a very fast train. I mean, seriously, we could have rewired the nation again. Um, But our politicians never caught on to the fact that they were being given free money for a generation. And it's actually the same in businesses. So mm-hmm. um, the, the Reserve Bank did uh, research during COVID that found that businesses were, were still Australian businesses uh, having a hurdle rate of return, that is the amount of return they expect before they actually agree to a project. It was still around 12%, even though they could borrow money for five or three. And yet they still weren't investing. Yeah, so we, it's, it's a bit like, you know, the, the cartoon, the, the coyote, you know, running <laughs> off a cliff, right? We, we were continuing to act as if money was expensive when it wasn't. A- and so, in a way, the, the new reality um, won't catch that many people, catch some homebuyers unawares. Because, surely it uh, will. I mean, uh, home surely it already is. I'm not sure is, I agree right? with your proposition about businesses, though, Peter. I mean, yes, the Reserve Bank and many of us have been puzzled about their um, stickiness um, and mm. unwillingness to, to take the risks that you see, certainly in, in other countries. But the numbers certainly look a little bit better in the last year and certainly have held up in terms of expectations for, for the year ahead, which is kind of counter to what you'd expect in this rising interest rate environment. And maybe it just the slowness of their decisions has responded to those ultra low interest rates just at the very point in time when they've, they've, they've started to rise, to rise again. Well, but, I, um, I, I think that there's inertia. I think there's inertia generally. Mm. So uh, they never really got on board with low interest rates. They never believed that they were real or that they'd last, and I guess they were right. As a result, they haven't been deterred by rising rates. I've, I've got a graph of business investment, you know, going back a decade, it goes back further than that, but you look back a decade, non-mining business investment, it's very little changed all through the changes in interest rates. Before the GFC, uh, and really, I suppose, you know, over the last generation, what would have been, Nikki Hutley, a presumed reasonable rate um, to pay in order to access somebody else's money? I mean, roughly. I know it's, it, it varied, but what could one expect if you were a young person going along to try to borrow for a home? Well, you know, I mean, the rates bounced up and down. And don't forget, in those days, it was much, much more common for us to have um, far more um, flexible rate rate mortgages than it was um, to have fixed rate. Old old fogies like me, you know, my first mortgage was was somewhere north of seventeen percent. Yeah, that um, was that and really wretched time, though. That was it, the it was, and of course, then we started. Had. Yeah, targeting um, inflation and started getting, uh, you know, 2 to 3% over the cycle. And, and we've really been quite successful in doing that for a number of three decades, essentially, until now where we misunderstood what was happening on the supply side of the economy and pumped lots of money in to prop up the demand side without acting to or, or noticing what was happening on, on the supply side. So, you know, you could have easily, though, got a mortgage at, at, at 5 6 or, or even 7% might have been, been been the height. I mean, probably over the last last couple of decades, certainly since the, the turn of the century, it hasn't often been much higher than that. But we're only just now, despite the shock that people are saying, you know, we've got cash rates over 3%, they've rarely been this low in, in our history. 
The shock is because of the speed at which they have changed, the artificial level that we had through COVID and then the speed with which the Reserve Bank and others around the world have reversed those. Plus, of course, that message that we had from the governor that said this wouldn't change until 2024 and whether it was a miscommunication or not, people believed that. And so that sort of was a double whammy, I think, for, for what we've seen. But and these are not it- extraordinary levels. And it pushed up house prices, which is what's made it extraordinary. So now you can borrow for five and a half percent, but the amount you need to borrow is so much more. So it's both the speed and the amount that you need Mm. to borrow. Yeah. What about the implications? I mean, I noticed Christopher Joy in the Financial Review suggesting that more illiquid areas like housing, commercial property, private equity, venture capital and the high-yield loan space could take years before they fully reprice. So investors will discover the price of that illiquidity, which will be borne out by, among other things, a withering default cycle. Now, if you can, I mean, that all sounds... Do you agree, Peter? And maybe you can sort of unpick that for people in terms of what comes now if we are going to have the end of this era of cheap money and all the presumptions that flow with it? Businesses are going to find it harder to borrow. Now, admittedly, they were making it uh, hard for themselves before by being cautious, but um, it's going to matter now. Having said that... I'm not so sure that they need to borrow like they did. So one of the the, the things the Productivity Commission uh, report uh, out week. in the last week is is about this it is that uh, for a long time now, a decade now, business investment, leaving aside mining, has been very low. And it might be that businesses don't actually need to spend money these days. So manufacturing, clearly, you know, if you're building a new plant, right... <laughs> You need to spend money to buy the equipment. It just doesn't cost much to start a, uh, you know, a human services, uh, an IT business. You know, no matter how much you try, you can't spend much on computers. Uh, And a lot of this concern about, oh, businesses aren't investing like they were, may be misplaced. Are they spending on employing people like they were? Are people fully employed? Are they producing things that people value as measured by, you know, the GDP and uh, the prices paid? And uh, perhaps they are. But the the, the um, PC also points to the fact that these, um, you know, growing services sector, which accounts for so much of our economy, has implications for productivity growth and, of course, then standard of living for, for all of us. And I would further add that with the transition to, um, you know, a greener economy, we need to now invest in more physical assets, whether that's renewable energy or the potential for, um, you know, downstream processing. I mean, if you look around Australia at the moment, there's some quite exciting things going on where there's a lot of physical capital. If Australia's economy is going to change, and it probably needs to, um, we're going to actually have to go change where where that's been. I don't disagree with you, Peter, on that, that front, you know, but we can't just perhaps keep growing that services sector without economic consequences that aren't so great for but, all of us in terms of standard of living. Also, the startup sector, Peter. I mean, don't haven't we been sort of saying we need big dreamers in the startup sector who need access to capital and we don't want it to just be sort of Canon Brooks and, and um, you know, Andrew Forrest who deal with big capital. Surely it's going to affect that. Oh, yeah, and that's the thing that's cyclical 
that's a thing that thrives when interest rates are low and then sort of dies uh, when they're not. We've not been into that nearly as much <laughs> as, uh, as Silicon Valley. Um, but that's, you know, that, that's small. Uh, most of what we do are services. Government is involved in those services. Startups have never, uh, I suppose, after they've started up, you know, lots of them have gone global. They've they've left Australia. They've not really been that important. I, I agree uh, with you, Nikki, about the climate transition infrastructure uh, that we'll need. And a lot of that, though, you know, will one way or another... Uh, be funded by government. Um, you know, Snowy Hydro was going to cost two billion. It's now going to cost ten, if hmm. only they'd uh, you know borrowed for it when it was cheap. It, money used to be free for the government, right? And now money mm. is not free. Now it has a cost, and that cost is roughly double. So you know, it costs uh, mm. around. Uh, it sounds low. You know, three and a half percent for the government to borrow. <laughs> it, it 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 used to cost uh, you know two percent. Mm, okay. Look, final question. I'm into you, Nikki. Do you imagine that younger people will have a particular challenge just imagining this new era of more expensive money? Because they haven't really lived through it, have they? No, I think that you're absolutely right. They haven't. And I do think they will They will struggle. I look at my own adult children um, and their experience of economy interest rates, and it's been largely favourable uh, for them um, in, in the decade or so since or less than that they, since they left university. And I think, you know, particularly those who have entered the housing market in the last couple of years who faced the double whammy of higher rates and um, the potential to have lost equity in their homes, just understanding this new environment, I think that financial literacy, economic literacy is so important. It is a rude shock to the system that, you know, things can not only change, but change incredibly rapidly. And that has implications for all aspects of, of their life. All right. I think there's a lot more to come on this. Uh, thank you both very much indeed for taking us into it. Uh, Peter Martin and Nikki Hutley, thank you. Pleasure. Thank you. And Peter uh, works for The Conversation. Nikki Hutley's a consulting economist. And I might just quickly add, Chris Richardson, who I know also are in listeners follow all at The Economist, has got a piece today in the uh, in the Fairfax, the nine Fairfax papers, warning people not to panic about global banking crises, sort of making Australian banks um, risky too. He said you can basically, Australia chooses to be extremely safe. We pay a cost for that, both as a customer as a tax and as a taxpayer, but we have very safe banks as a result, because I do think that's part of this whole conversation as well. Getting in touch with ABC RN is easy. Join the conversation live using the ABC Listen app's call and text features.